Welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to improve themselves, overcome obstacles, and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Hello, and thank you for listening in today. And thank you to those who have been participating in this month's technology challenge and contacting me about how it's been going for you. I've had such a fun time highlighting you on my Insta stories, and we still have this last week left in May. In case you are confused, this started with my podcast a few weeks back on technology, how to use it, not abuse it. And I've linked that podcast episode in the show notes for you if you would like to better understand what this is all about. You can see more about the weekly challenges on Instagram, and I'm there at About Progress. And my Facebook is also About Progress, and my blog is aboutprogress.com. If you want to access past episodes of the podcast or read the other things that I share there. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. I love multitasking and tricking myself into doing my chores, and I do that by listening to podcasts and audiobooks. It somehow takes the sting away of cleaning the toilet. Whenever I'm sad, I listen to Harry Potter. Have you ever heard the voices in that audiobook? They are incredible. With Audible, you pay $14.95 a month and get a free book of your choice downloaded to your devices, and additional books are 30% off. And as I've said before, the books are yours forever. So if you're like me and sometimes you take a long time, that doesn't matter. They're yours. Audible has offered our listeners a free 30-day trial, which you can access at audibletrial.com slash aboutprogress. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash aboutprogress for your free Audible book. I've linked that in the show notes for you, which you can also find on my website aboutprogress.com if you have a hard time accessing the show notes. Today is my monthly casual podcast on a theme that I've been thinking about lately. You might hear my kids in the background. They are watching their show for the day while I hurry and do this. And, you know, this is this is just how these ones are going to go. And I actually really like doing these ones that are a little more informal. I don't know if you guys know this, but I actually record in my kitchen. My house is 1,200 square feet, so I have a little corner desk tucked away in part of my kitchen, and so that's why sometimes you hear the fridge in the background or other noises, and that's, I actually record here usually late at night, which is why I sound so tired <laughs> most of the time. So I, I'm trying to record more during the day, uh, which is also tricky because there's always kids around. I just want to sound more awake for you guys, so... Oh, that's all to say. I apologize if there are any interruptions or background noise, but this is how it's going to be, and it's okay. So today, the theme is fake it till you make it. This has been something that I have learned throughout my life and put to test over and over again. I'm going to tell you a little story about a time where I had to fake it until I made it. When I was 21 years old, I was married and living in Alameda, California, which borders Oakland in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I went to go back to school for my teaching credential. In California, you have to do a whole separate year-long teaching, or not year-long, but my program was a year-long teaching credential program, and it involved also a full year of student teaching. So my second semester, I was then 22, I was 
in charge, fully in charge of a class of second semester seniors. And these were seniors that I was not used to seeing. They had full back tattoos. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, just things that I didn't know 17, 18 year old kids could could wear or have on their bodies or talk. I, I, I grew up in Utah, so I wasn't used to hearing so much swearing or so much talk about things that I never had heard talked about. I regularly broke up fights. I read words out of the books we were reading that I didn't know were bad. <laughs> I will have to tell you about that one in person if you want to know what that is. And sometimes, I mean, kids ask me straight up things that I never would have dared ask my teachers. Like one asked, uh, she knew she knew that um, I had religious beliefs. She asked straight up if I was a virgin when I got married. <laughs> and that was a fun conversation, um, which I was, fortunately, but it was like, I don't want to talk to you about this, you 17-year-old who's probably had way more experience than me, and she made it clear that she did. Anyway, so I had nightmares about these kids. I I was their teacher. The the teacher, my master teacher, as we call them, he often wasn't in the room, or if he was, he was in the corner because that's how it was supposed to be. By that point, I, I was supposed to be fully in charge of these students, and their teacher happened to be one of the most incredible teachers in the district. He was very well admired and loved. And I feel like these kids felt gypped and I don't blame them because I was just a few years older than them. And, uh, uh, blondie, I was then blonde from Utah who probably didn't know a lot of what they have dealt with every single day of their lives. So the only way I got through that was to fake it. I had to fake confidence with these kids. I had to pretend that they didn't scare the crap out of me every time I came. And I had to pretend that I knew how to teach and and how to solve problems and how to mentor them and how to tailor them into graduating because some of them almost didn't graduate and um I had to help them through that. So by the end, I mean I it was better and I feel like we all, we did have a good relationship. And I feel like the kids learned a lot. And I feel like I learned a lot about how to actually be a teacher. But then when I became an actual middle school teacher, I was teaching the same demographics. And I was teaching in a school that was really not great. It was um, in, in California, we have a, a scale one to 10 of the, te- the school's quality. And this was a two out of 10. And it, it was one of the schools that receives um, special funding because it's basically a failing school. And as a new teacher there, I was given six preps. So for context, most teachers have two to three preps. Um, that means two, two to three different classes that they have to prepare for every single day. And I had six. I had seventh grade English, seventh grade history, seventh grade reading, and then I had eighth grade history eighth grade English, eighth grade reading. And none of those crossed over. It was so, so much work. I really did work around the clock. I I didn't have time for anything. I mean, Brad can attest to it. It was just a it was a very, very, very stressful year. And to top that off, I had huge classes. All of my classes were about 28 to 34 kids. I was, I mean, they just landed me with huge class sizes and they actually gave me 
the hard kids <laughs> that I don't think other teachers were willing to take. And they actually put them in the same class. At this time, I didn't know that I could go to the principal and say, listen, so-and-so and so-and-so cannot be in the same class together. This isn't working. And one of class, and especially I had about four of those kids together. It was so hard. I was threatened with gang violence. I had candy stolen out of my cupboard. My classroom was so hot and had mice and it smelled like BO constantly because the kids weren't wearing deodorant. Um, I broke up fights there too. Um, oh my goodness. So many, so many things there. And, and, and to top it all, all off, I didn't even know half of what they were talking about in the teaching meetings. They would use these terms that uh, sounded vaguely familiar, but I was like, yeah, sure. I know differentiated teaching and learning and, oh yeah, like I, I can do that too. And you know what? The only way I made it through that year was again, what I had learned through my second semester of student teaching was that I had to fake it. Those kids could smell fear and they could smell when someone didn't know what they were doing. I had to pretend that I knew what I was doing, that I wasn't stressed, that I wasn't overwhelmed, that I wasn't scared of them, that I wasn't tired, and that this is what I wanted to do and be and, and, and to be doing every single day. And I have to say that I think I did a great job that first year. It was definitely unfair what they did. And I can now see I am I'm now supervised student teachers. Um, I've done that for about four or five years. And I mean, what they did was unfair and wrong, uh, what the school had done to me. But you know what made that all worth it? was the next year when I taught at another new middle school or another middle school in the uh, community. I only had three preps, I believe. Yeah, three preps. And it was so awesome. And I suddenly was flourishing. I was doing so much better and I had, I found my footing and I gained so much self-confidence in that because I knew I was doing a good job. I knew I was no longer faking it. I knew I was a very good teacher and that these kids were responding well to how I was teaching and to how I was disciplining and how I was trying to mentor them. And I kind of look back on that second year, especially with fondness, because um, that's where I really feel like I've got the fruits of my prior two years worth of labor. And um, it was a success. So that's an example of when I had to fake it to make it. This is something we can all do every single day. It can be big or small things. What don't you like about yourself? Do you want to be more patient? Then start faking it. (laughs) Do you want to have a happier marriage? Start faking one that looks happy to you. Do you want to be less grumpy? Then start acting cheerful. The rest of this podcast, I'm going to be sharing a few examples of listeners who wrote in when I asked, when, when have you done this in your life and what were the effects of it? And I'm also going to share some personal stories and ones of my friends that I know. So with this uh, quality in mind, like if there's a character trait you want to adapt, I want to share a story about my best friend, Ashley. I had growing up uh, three best friends named Ashley. And one of them I met in band class the first day of seventh grade. And she was very shy and very, very, very quiet. But we we grew to become friends because we sat next to each other in band. 
And I learned she was really not like she was hilarious. She was so crazy and funny. But seventh and eighth grade, those are our first two years of junior high in Utah. She really was within her. She was in her shell and people didn't know how awesome she was. And so the summer before ninth grade, we were talking. I was like, Ashley, you need to get out of your shell. You need to just show people how fun you are and and not be so quiet because you're awesome. And she decided that herself. She decided she wasn't going to be shy anymore. And so she started acting like a not shy person. And the next four years, what was left of junior high and high school, Ashley just was the life of the party. And I mean this in the best way possible. She's friends with everyone, made everyone laugh. We would do the craziest antics, like drive backwards through drive-ins and make hilarious videos of us in costumes and stalking boys. And I, I, I can't look back on growing up without seeing my fun friend. And I'm realizing now that it was just a gift that she gave to herself to decide that she wasn't going to be shy anymore. So what is it that you can fake? Um, I listened to a really good podcast a few years ago on Radio Lab, and it was about athletes. It, well, actually, it was about uh, pathological liars initially, and it showed the different uh, brain structures that they have and, and different things that make them good at lying and quick at it. But it also turned to athletes, and they talked about how athletes, they show through studies and even studies on their brains that, that professional athletes are really good at lying to themselves and believing their lies. So you can, you can see this, you know, when you watch the Olympics, especially you see these athletes on the side and they're getting their game face on, they're prepping for their event and there's this inner dialogue they're doing in their minds for most of them these mantras and they're telling themselves you're the best no one here is as good as you you are going to win you're going to be the fastest the strongest you are unbeatable you know things like that they're giving themselves this dialogue in their minds so professional athletes are especially good at lying to themselves and believing in their lies and because of that they are more successful so I want to use that in a, in a positive light. How can we lie to ourselves and believe our lies? And what I mean, how can we change the dialogue in our mind about who we want to be, how we want to act, what we want to do with our lives so that we are better able to actually do these things? Now, this doesn't mean we have to be a professional athlete. This doesn't mean we have to be head of a major company or the most incredible mom with 10 children. This can be simple things too. So some of the listeners wrote in about my question on how daily life requires this ability to fake it until you make it. My friend Jen Shields, she talked about how all day, every day, she has to fake it until you make it. And she said, quote, it's the only way I know how to be a mom, a teacher, a devout Christian, a homemaker, a compassionate friend, a selfless person. I love this saying because it isn't about being fake. It's about trying, unquote. I love that because she got it. So I'm not trying to say lie, lie to everybody. I'm saying believe in yourself, believe that you can try 
and try again and again and again until you make it. Now, those, those back to those professional athletes, I am 100% positive that they didn't get it the first time they tried, maybe the second, third, fourth, fifth. They had to try again and again and again and overcome the many failures that came along their way to become successful. And we see these with major people too. Steve Jobs is one of those, failure after failure. But he continued to try. He continued to fake it until he made it. Another one who talked about the uh, daily life and how we need to fake it sometimes till we make it, uh, Sarah Barry Carpenter, who I met a few weekends ago, she said, quote, here's a simple one. Sometimes when I wake up in the morning feeling bleh, I force a smile and sift through thoughts until the smile becomes genuine. I usually end up thinking about something cute my kids did. Something about the physical act of smiling makes it easier to find something to smile about. And my day starts out cheerful instead of blah. Unquote. Thanks so much, Sarah. That is so awesome because what you're doing is sometimes when you're faking it, you're acting the part until you feel it. Um, an example that I've, where I've done this is with performing. I used to be um, a flautist. I, was a, I, I danced ballet until I was 18. I get so nervous before I perform. I did musical theater as well. And, you know, I, I, all those demons in my, my mind, you know, those, that negative thinking, that self-sabotaging, it's pretty strong. But with flute especially, I was able to trick myself into believing that I wasn't scared when I perform. And I still do this today when I try to um, play for some church things, although I'm not near as good as I used to be. But before I get up, when I'm feeling so nervous, when I'm in on the sideline, you know, trying to get my thoughts together, what I tell myself is I'm going to play like I am so confident. Sometimes when I was really feeling nervous, I would, I, like when I was doing a competition, I would, I would say to myself, play like you're showing off. I, I faked that confidence and that helped me get there. I mean, sometimes I like to have more of a genuine thought of mind. Like I think of someone I want to play for. And um, I think of like a prayer in my heart, uh, what, I, what I want it to sound like. And, 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 and doing that helps me act the part. Some of you might ha- be like my friend Ashley. Like maybe you don't have the easiest time around people. My friend Alicia, she talked about this. She says she does the fake it till you make it all the time at social gatherings. She said, quote, while I enjoy being social in small groups, large numbers of people overwhelm and exhaust me. So I fake smile. There we go that, with that smiling again, right? And I work really hard at small chat in the beginning and usually an event or evening will set her into clusters that I'm more comfortable with and calm down so I can enjoy it. So there you go. That's, that's an example. She says she still gets exhausted by the end, but it still helps her enjoy the events more. Many of you have to deal with this in your family life. Uh, I have a, I have a child <laughs> who I'm not going to try to call out, but we have a child who is really, 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 really hard. And I know that they just come the way they come. And there are so many gifts with this child and so much fun and laughter and enjoyment. But a lot of times the only way I make it so this child doesn't ruin my day or ruin our family, and that's being dramatic, 
is to pretend that they are not. So that's the only way I get through it is often by faking, faking that this child is not bothering me and that I can discipline, but without getting angry um, and that they aren't making me upset. So that has been helping me a lot lately. I'm actually going to write a blog post on that soon about how I've become like a silly robot and that's helped. And I'll explain that more in another um, blog post that is coming up. My friend Trisha talked about this too. She said, quote, I heard a bit of wisdom once that went something like, act the way you want to feel. It's sort of like fake it till you make it. I find that if I play the part, my emotions usually follow suit. If I act like I'm patient and calm and that I'm enjoying playing with my kids, even when it's something I really dislike, I feel calm and happy more often. And I notice my kids feel the same too. Our kids take major emotional cues from us, so I'm trying and failing and trying again to keep my anger and criticisms in check, unquote. Yeah, I hear you, Trisha. It's the same here. And I'm glad that you talked about failing because man, oh man, has this child gotten a lot of bad parenting. This child probably should have had me as a teacher instead of a mom sometimes where I would have been able to keep myself in better check because I wasn't as emotionally invested You know, like when it's your child, there's just more at stake. So I can definitely see like when you fake those emotions, they can sense when you're, when you're trying kids can sense resentment. And I think that leaks out. So faking how you want to feel is so important too. So some of us face even bigger battles with this when we talked about the stakes being high, but when the stakes are even higher, Nicole, who I'm actually going to try to get on the show, she talks about this with her child. She said, quote, this is a great and helpful motto. When my son was diagnosed with severe autism and incurable disease, I had to navigate figuring out our family's new normal. It felt like someone picked up our home gave it a violent shake, and left us to figure out how to navigate regular daily demands of being a mom to four combined with figuring out the demands and changes our new life would present. With much prayer and often a fake it until I make it attitude, I can look back with the realization of how far I've come as a mother. I wasn't getting as much wrong as I thought I was. Sometimes we must pull up our bootstraps, get busy, and fake feeling great about the day, knowing the blessings will come. I know that I haven't dealt with huge trials like that, or death in a family, or uh, a marriage dissolving, or, you know, big setbacks with work or trials, but, but I do know through my hard times, too, that often just pulling my bootstraps up like Nicole talked about and trying to fake feeling better, it helped us get through it. So thanks for sharing that, Nicole. So maybe we don't have as high of stakes in work, but work is another great example of where we can push ourselves with this fake it till you make it attitude. My friend Camille is a nurse and she said that putting in an IV for the first time was definitely one of those fake it till you make it moments. Uh, that scares me. So I'm like, how did you do that, Camille? That's really impressive that you just, and you have to go to it for it. How else are you going to learn? 
My cousin Pat had a really hilarious story. He is a twin. He and his brother Joe, they were around 14 or 15 years old when they were trying to get a job at a spud harvest in Idaho. And they had worked in another one for two years, but this one they wanted to do something more than just picking out dirt clods and rocks and weeds out of the potatoes for 10 or 12 hours a day. So they were interviewed by a new farmer, and he asked them if they had ever run a potato piler. And my cousin said, absolutely, no problem. And he never had. And the farmer had hired him immediately as a pit boss. And then he turned to his twin, Joe, and asked him if he'd ever driven one of those big potato trucks. And Joe did the same thing and told him, oh, yeah, all the time, no problem. He hired Joe as well on the spot to be one of his truck drivers. So this is what my cousin said about it. Quote, neither one of us had had any experience for either of those two jobs, but we both decided it was better to get on-the-job training for these new positions than, being, than be stuck where we were the previous two years. The farmer ended up loving our work. We both did so much that even 25 years later, he has told us that anytime you want to work in his spud harvest, we can have our old jobs back, unquote. I love that one. <laughs> Isn't that great? Um, my friend Molly, she also talked about her first year at a tech company. She said, quote, I started at a tech company where I still currently work over four years later, not knowing one thing about technology. All the meetings I attended sounded literally like Chinese to me and all the acronyms people use to talk tech. For the first full year, I was completely confused, but I looked up everything they talked about, asked questions and totally faked it until I made it. It worked. Still have a job, unquote. That's another great one, Molly. And it reminded me of my first year teaching. So, you know, we can apply it with these, these qualities that we want to work on. We can apply it within our families. We can apply it within our work. We can also apply it within our interests and our passions. I went to a workshop two weekends ago with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and it's called The Art of Desire. Oh, my goodness. Everyone should take this course. She does offer online, but I went to an in-person workshop. Um, two-thirds of this workshop was just talking about how we can better realize the interests and desires we have in our heart and do better at pursuing those. I don't want to give away her workshop because it's so powerful. But this quote that she said really inspired me. And it's from the Gospel of Thomas. And this, and, and this is what it says. It says, quote, If you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. That's a packed one. So I'm going to, I'm going to read that one more time to you. Quote, if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. Unquote. I feel like this was what my life was like um, for about eight years after I got married and was trying to work through um, my eating disorder recovery. I had come a long way, but out of fear, I turned into an underachiever, like someone who was too afraid to try anything. And um, for good reasons, too, I didn't want to get back to bad habits. I didn't want to become OCD or crazy like I had been. But you know what, you guys, I, I have talked about this a little before, but I wasn't any happier. In fact, I think I was even more depressed in, in many ways. I mean, I was less crazy, but I was definitely, I definitely dealt with big rounds of depression, big, dark, dark, dark rounds of depression and anxiety. 
And I know now it's because I wasn't bringing forth what was within me. I wasn't allowing myself the freedom to explore the desires in my heart and the goals that I wanted to achieve. I wasn't even allowing myself to have them. Jennifer talked about this in our workshop. She says that we have the responsibility to fulfill, explore, and progress our gifts and to develop them. That creativity is essential to our well-being. I really encourage you to check out her courses. I'm going to link to that in the show notes. Um, But so much of what she said spoke true to what I was already preparing for this podcast. And one of those is to think about what is within you and what would you aspire to be if you really listened to what was is within your heart. And it can be small or big. So one of the, the things that came up in the workshop that I actually had already written down was to, to try on a label for what you want to be. If you want to be a writer, don't say, I want to be a writer. Call yourself a writer. And she said this about um, other things. She said, uh, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Five said, don't aspire to run, be a runner. Don't aspire to do yoga, be a yogi. So we can all do this. We can try on the label that we want. That's what I'm doing here, you guys. That's what I've been doing the past year and a half. I've been calling myself a writer, even though I very much feel like the imposter syndrome. I don't, I still think that I'm, I'm totally lying to people when I say I'm a writer, I'm a podcaster. I was also calling myself an interior designer because that's something I was trying to pursue, but I've since reined that in just because, um, it was too much. (laughs) It was too much to do design clients on top of the podcast and the blog. So, but I still probably will get back to that one day. I might call myself an interior designer interior designer again. Uh, some of my friends I have seen do this so, so well. My friend Courtney Rich, she is from Cake by Courtney. She had a, a podcast interview with me as well near the very, very beginning. She was so kind to do that when I still didn't know what I was doing at all with this podcast. But I had, I had the heart of it, what I wanted right. But Courtney is a self-taught baker. And she makes the best cakes I have ever taste, tasted in my life. I'm not lying. But she decided to take on this identity as a baker. And she didn't start until later in life, like maybe um, definitely over 25, right, Courtney? So she started to bake then, and now she's, I mean, she's killing it. She's got this really good blog, this really good Instagram account. She she bakes for classes. She bakes for events. Um, and, and she deserves this. She has worked her bum off. But you know what? Taking on that label as all these things that she did, I think has empowered her to be as successful as she is. Um, another example was two friends of mine that I also interviewed on the podcast. So I'll link all these um, prior interviews for you. Meg Miles and Amber Brusicki. I know I'm saying your name wrong again, Amber, Amber. I'm so sorry. They both have talked about how learning how to do weightlifting is something that you just have to fake it until you until you learn. You have to get out onto the the floor where all the big weights are and all the men and you have to try. And you just have to take fake that confidence that you know what you're doing. And you know them both doing that Meg and Amber, they have grown so much in their actual knowledge. And I know they are both uh coaches and and soon to be trainer with Meg and oh, just helping so many people with their fitness goals. And 
a large part of that comes from faking that confidence and putting on that label that they that they can do this, that they are weightlifters too. So those are basically the stories I have to share with this. And I just have a few tips for you um, on ways to learn how to fake it till you make it. The first tip is to identify. I want you to think about what is within you that you need to explore. What is it that you want to change about yourself or aspire to? What do you keep putting on the on the back burner? Even if it's you putting off even thinking about what you want to do. If you've stuffed that down so deep inside, that's where you need to start your work. And maybe you can start that by thinking about what do you admire in others? What are you drawn to? What do you continue to dismiss because you think you're not smart enough or that you're worried about failure or that's just going to be too hard? So the first step again is to identify. Identify what it is that you want to aspire to and and grow in. Two, you need to brainstorm. So once you've identified the thing, I want you to think about what does it look like to have that trait, to be that person or to take that job? What does a person who has those qualities do? What do they think? What daily habits do they have? This is where you need to like map it out. Map out what it actually looks like to be what you want to aspire to. Three is to go after it. This entails doing some scary things. This entails putting yourself out there, dealing with mistakes and failures. This entails believing in yourself. And you know what? Often that involves another way of faking it till you make it. That involves faking believing in yourself. If you don't, you can start with that. While you're going after it, I just have a little warning call for you is to watch your head. Your thinking matters. You have to pay attention to how you're thinking about all of this, how you're viewing yourself, your aspirations, your goals, your dreams. Thinking matters. So watch your head while you're trying to go after it. And the fourth tip is to celebrate. Even if you don't quote unquote make it, you are making you. So celebrate what you've attempted, what you've learned, and how you've grown. You might not get to that end goal that you want, or it might be a huge roller coaster ride to get there. But that's not the point. The point is how you, br- you are bringing out what is within you. And that, in the end, is going to lead to more happiness. Sure, there will be stress along the way. Sure, there will be failures and frustrations. Sure, there will be people who judge you and mistake what you are trying to do. And sure, you might feel embarrassed or ashamed or scared. But what matters is to celebrate that you have even tried. And and this goes into my whole campaign to do something what scares you. I believe in that wholeheartedly. That is something we can all do, big and small, to try things that scare us. And when we do that, we build this confidence within ourselves that we can try the next scary thing and the next and the next. And we can change little by little by doing that. So what are you going to do? What What are you going to fake until you make it? How are you going to make you? I would love to hear it. Will you please contact me? Let me know. I'd love to highlight you. I'd love to share your own journey here. I don't want this to be just about me, you guys. 
So if you want to, please direct message me on Instagram or Facebook. I'm there at About Progress. You can also email me at PackerProgress.com. So that's it for this week. I actually don't have a do something highlight for you today, but I do want to say a special thank you to those who have direct messaged me or emailed me who have let me know how this podcast is helping you. I, I'm like what we talked about. I'm doing this with a lot of trepidation and stress and fear and self-doubt a lot along the way. I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> I hope it will in time pay for itself and hopefully in the near future, but I'm not in this business to make the big bucks. I can't be or else I wouldn't have ever started. So getting that feedback from those who have reached out to me, it helped me so much and it helped me know that it is worth all the effort that it is reaching someone out there. And that's what matters to me. So if you are one of those who do like this podcast, could you please do me a favor? And can you leave a review on iTunes for me? It can be short. I don't, I don't care how long it is or how well thought out it is. Just say what's in your heart, even if it's some constructive criticism. I, I want to hear from you. And, and even if you don't do the review, if you can please subscribe, and share it, share it with people because the more listens this podcast gets, the more likely I can keep it afloat and keep it going. And I so want to do that. I have learned so much from this podcast. It really has changed my life. You guys interviewing these people and how they've made it through hard things and still aspire to be greater. It's changed my life. Okay. So that's, that's it for today. Next week, I have Andy Proctor on the show. He is a happiness expert, and he has had to put his research uh, to good use as both he and his wife have faced huge mental health battles. We had such a fascinating discussion, so much so that I know I need to have him back on so we can have a follow-up one. And I'm really looking forward to us all learning from him. So please come back next Wednesday for my interview with Andy. And until then, take care of yourself.